theme <coughs> for the afternoon's uh, teaching is the Buddha's advice on the Four of Noble Truth. We are on the last full day of this retreat together. And uh, as you know, uh, th- this morning I missed the uh, third sitting of the day to attend this uh, peace walk in Totnes. Uh, and when I uh, arrived back uh, here, then coming in for the uh, uh, fourth sitting of the day, that is the 3.15 sitting here, there were only about four people here in the hall. I thought, my goodness, I go away and you've all fled the nest. <laughs> <laughs> While um, making this walk, which, as you know, the up top nest, uh, high street, that there's only one intention, and that is to point to the end of conflict, the end of war, and the end of all the terrible sort of scenes, suffering that goes along with it. So we walked very, very slowly uh, this morning, and if I may, they say, probably more slowly than a lot of you have walked all week. <laughs> because Christopher had the privilege of deciding the speed of the walk. So we walked up the high street, 100, 150 of us, maybe more, single file. I barely put the heels of one foot in front of the toes of the other. So this was called involuntary walking meditation practice by probably 80% of the group walking behind. But it helped in the huge uh, mass of uh, Saturday morning shoppers to uh, remind everybody that there are important considerations of of life and of this war and bombing campaign that's currently taking place. And it often happens with these uh, things. (coughs) At the top of the high street, (coughs) uh, I spoke for a few moments and with the number and the shoppers, etc., etc., we use a, mag- uh, a megaphone. You know what a megaphone is. So, after speaking uh, a few minutes, <coughs> one person um, asked me to make uh, a short announcement. And the na- announcement was that on uh, next Tuesday afternoon at uh, 4 p.m. <coughs> we are asked. <coughs> me. We are asked to send light to George Bush. To do that at 4 p.m. on Tuesday afternoon. A little while later, a woman came up to me very agitated. She said, I've just been listening to you speak 
and you, you've really distressed me and I really feel upset about it and I, and I, I really, really have to say something. How could you say that? What did I, what did I say? I just spoken about five minutes there, up there, and I'd spoken about a meeting with two people from Hamas in Nablus. And what went on for them in this dialogue? And a little bit about, you know, to be thoughtful about what you and I spoke with you about for all of us to remind us of uh, be watchful that we don't in turn too much suffering because it will bring despair, etc. So we spoke for a little factor. And then she said, how could you say that? And I said, what? She said, you just said on Tuesday afternoon at 4pm, we will set light to George Bush. That's an interesting idea. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> See how things can say and be misunderstood. <laughs> but there's a very good, kind response uh, from uh, people in the high street and uh, uh, much support for us and the fact that the numbers doubled from last week. And it's, it's cheering, it's empowering. But the teachings were similarly inclined, similarly focused and similarly focused in so far as he, was con- he said, I only teach two things. I teach that there is suffering in this world. And I also teach that there is a resolution of the suffering in this world. I teach nothing else. Sometimes this perception, this uh, view or this understanding rather gets limited to the suffering of the individual. There's no indication from the the teachings of the Buddha, that it just refers to me and my suffering, wherever it is. And therefore everything he said, I've spoken about, all of the Dharma only has this as the priority. There is no other priority. And that human beings, whether we know it or not, are aware of the Dharma, concerned with suffering. And suffering being that kind of general word, to speak of unhappiness and despair and stress and fear and, and selfishness and egotism and anxiety and pride and arrogance and, and blame and fault-finding and, and violence and aggression and war and exploitation and destructiveness. So the whole range of suffering from its most subtle and gross of just general dissatisfaction to its full-on uh, manifestation in the infliction of uh, terror upon people. All of that is regarded as the exploration of the understanding of suffering and its resolution. This is what the Dharma is concerned with. Primarily that, rather decisively, uh, that, and if we can explore our way into that, then things can change and open up for us and start to touch upon as well, the, the happinesses of life, the, uh, the joys of life. What is sometimes forgotten in the, uh, the Dharma of the Four Noble Truths is a very specific kind of relationship with each one of them. 
And if I may, I'll, I'll just give a general um, uh, outline of, of each one. And they are intended to serve for us, not as um, some kind of Buddhist uh, belief system, but to see how you and I, in the context of our daily life, can apply these. And with the first one of, uh, of, of uh, suffering, remembering the whole spectrum that I uh, uh, spoke about, sometimes when we take a, take a look, we're going through a hard time, we're going through some difficulty, whatever, whatever way it may be manifesting, and the mind, in it kind of turning over and over uh, on it, there may be some essential things that we have to be extremely clear about and be so clear that the samadhi that we've been talking about over these days together has the capacity to hold the clarity, to hold the clearness, to hold the awareness or the mindfulness of what it means, really, herein. If I'm suffering, difficulty, problem, whatever, I may be angry, I may be caught up in some greed or addiction, I may be in a state of uh, fear, whatever it might be. The invitation <coughs> in relationship to something that is going on for us is, he says, is it I'm not getting what I want. That's all. Is that what it's about? Is that what it's about? I'm not getting what I want. And the samadhi, the uh, concentration of attention, if somebody pointed out to me in a one-to-one uh, ye- yesterday, he said to me, Guta, I just realized how important this samadhi is. I just realized how important it is to keep the mind steady on something that matters. I might be aware of it. I might be very mindful, same word, of the difficulty, of the dukkha, of the unsatisfactoriness. But if I don't have the samadhi, I can't keep steady. I don't have the capacity to concentrate and keep with it. The mindfulness would dissolve and I'd be thrown straight into it. This is the... Oh, I've got to So the samadhi is, is the issue. I've lost what I have. Or I've lost who I have. It could be a person. It could be a job. It could be money. It could be a role. It could be reputation. It could be who, who I think I am. It could be my direction in life. Do I have the mindfulness and the samadhi to stay steady with losing what I have. Because losing what I have from a bereavement to an identity can generate in, in our life huge amount of suffering. Huge amount. 
because somehow I'm fighting, I'm resisting, I'm denying, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, 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 I, I can't stand the fact I've lost something which I have, or who I have, or what I have, or who I am, or what I am. Buddha said, and the first noble truth, is it? Being separated from who and what I love. Is it being separated from? I just read a report of the wife of a Marine in California. It's heart it's it, it's heart rendering to read to, to read this, you will see in a dexterity. She said since this war has started, her husband is in the in the Marines. All that she knows is that he is somewhere in Iraq. All that she knows is that he's either moving around on the ground in some area or he's being moved around by helicopter. She said she is so worried sick she can't sleep at night, she's losing weight, she can't give her two kids the time and attention that they, that they need. And every time there's a bit of bad news, there's friendly fire, there's a helicopter crash, there's an ambush, all this which goes on, on in the war. Is it my husband? Is it him? And she's ringing around, the women, these poor women, ringing around. Is it? Is, is everything alright? Have you got any news? And, and just terrified that the phone will ring, or someone will knock on the door and say in those terrible wars, words of which war uh, widows and widowers know well, we regret to inform you. My grandmother has six brothers. Their mother had that said to them at the front door six times. All six brothers died in the war. All soldiers, we regret to inform you. This is when speaking of separation from who and what one loves. And sometimes it's smaller things. People, places, associations, memories, etc. It could be youth, health, <coughs> vitality, beauty, handsomeness, anything. Anything can be. I used to be, but now I'm separated from that. I used to be like that, but now I'm no longer like that. And in that separation, in that gap which we've explored together over the day, but it is this suffering which is arising due to being separated from who and what I love. Think of the people there in Iraq, and we, then we think, my goodness, what about the people back home? What about their families? What they're going through? And in this county of Devon. There's a long, long history of men and women involved in the services. Every town, every street around here had men and women who were involved in the services. Long, long history of this, of Devonians. As well as, of course, in many other parts of the country. So we, we, look, we, look, we, say, we look at ourselves, we're in that tragic form I referred us to, but also in our own personal life. 
is it not getting what I want? Losing what I have? Being separated from who and what I love? These sentences are the words of the Buddha. Straight from the Buddha. Quoting very directly and precisely. And, and then he says, at the more subtle level, is it due to attachment? Is it due to attachment? So when there is something going on with us, something difficult, something problematic, whatever it might be, what am I attached to? What am I attached to? And sometimes, get the idea, attachment is uh, detachment. The idea is the antidote to attachment is detachment. No, it's not. And if we're detached from life, we get detached from it. Then we tend to get alienated and out of touch and out of contact. And in that separateness, of course, the violence and the war could start. It's the problem of detachment is a problem. Not a Buddha, not a teaching of the Buddha. Only those who, who are detached can send in, a, in cruise missiles day in and day out to the, upon the poor people, citizens of Baghdad. That's the problem of detachment. But attachment, Buddha asked, with attachment, is this attachment? What is the attachment? What's showing me this attachment? Am I attached? And if we can keep, as I, to repeat myself a little bit, the uh, samadhi steady there with this, it isn't easy, of course it isn't easy. But if we can, maybe, via our own exploration, maybe via the support of others, maybe just through taking an interest in all of this, perhaps, this is the important thing for the Buddhist says, some understanding will come. Some understanding which starts to change things. So the, the, the Buddha's um, advice is the inquiry, the investigation, whatever you want to call it. He says, for the first noble truth, it is to be understood. Suffering, which is the first noble truth, no, noble means uh, uh, major, significant in our faith. Not noble, great, let's suffer. No, 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 it's right there, it's the major truth of existence. He says, this is to be understood. Sometimes you get the idea, you know, that somehow we're going to uh, understand everything from within. This is the self. Not that it's self. We say, oh, the answer within. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking up the popular one-liners. I have popness to thank for it. Uh, the truth is within you. Lo- lovely one-liners. Sometimes we can't find any understanding inside of us. If we could immediately this whole army of psychotherapists would be unemployed. This whole army of counsellors and psychologists and psychiatrists. Uh, 
mercifully, meditation teachers as well, we do. Great to be out of the rock. No! The traditionist says, we can't absolutely rely upon ourselves to understand everything. Because the poor old ego keeps getting in the way. The I, me and my gets in the way, the separation gets in the way, the attachments get in the way. So, we walk, we look within, and we listen without. And in our listening without, possibly, some insight and understanding will come. Will come. I can't liberate you. Believe me, if I could, I'd love to. <laughs> I promise you, I would come in, in here last. When, when did we when did I come here? Last Saturday at 8 p.m. I would save the magic potion. I would liberate you. It would take one minute. I'd give my five-minute dana talk right after, <laughs> and I'd go home. and have a cafe latte to celebrate. <laughs> so the idea that someone else is going to liberate us, you know, the gurus and all this funny... It's a myth. It's a complete myth. But the strange thing is, if we think we can just liberate ourselves, it's another myth. Because if one could liberate oneself, one would say, okay, I've started it. I'm no longer going to shout at the kids I'm no longer going to get depressed when I wake up I'm no longer going to start weeping over the phone bill this is one that parents have it's another story and I'm no, what's the other thing I'm no longer going to worry about today, tomorrow, etc from this moment I'm in charge of my life I'm in charge of my mind, I'm in charge of my emotions, I'm in charge of myself. From this moment on, I'm going to be totally enlightened, totally liberated, so full of compassion you won't believe, etc. And it's going to be wonderful. Now, suppose any of us did this. Lovely idea. Who could do it? We could say it. You and I could make a mantra out of it. So the idea someone else is going to liberate me, it's myth. The idea that I can say, okay, I'm going to decide, I'm going to now, I'm going to do it right now, because who's going to say, I think I'll liberate myself, um, I think Easter Monday, or, no, I think I'll wait till April the 1st. <laughs> That's probably April 1st, for those of you from, from, um, April Fool's Day I, I think I'll no I, I can't wait I don't think I do anything I'll, I'll, yes I'll do a week's practice and then I'll be liberated on April the 1st because it's a nice day to be liberated who is going to wait? so the idea in this strange world I can liberate myself one minute the idea that someone else can liberate me is another one what an extraordinary situation Extraordinary. Nobody can do it for me, and I can't do it. 
in the second noble truth. <laughs> I tell you, I have a great job. How many jobs can one have where you answer, ask questions and you don't bother to answer them? In the second noble truth, it's referred to as the cause and conditions for suffering. And it matters important, matters here obviously. What happens to us? We're going through difficulties. And we've got all this kind of upsurge in the difficulty of a whole range and variety of views and opinions which are going on about it. Quite often, there's lots of opinions arising about the causes and conditions why I feel like I do. Hard to imagine if one's having a rough time about anything in life that the mind, in its funny old way, isn't producing a lot of thoughts about the causes and conditions why I'm feeling like this. It's not like there's all this stuff going on and then some nice thoughts, oh, there's all this stuff going on, but uh, I wonder if it's pasta for lunch. <laughs> when there's lots going on, all that one can do is think about what's going on. And what one is thinking about what's going on is, why, why is it going on? <laughs> why am I like this? <laughs> and then in come all these various re- re- reasons there and instead of resolving it all my reasons, all my causes and conditions mm. seem to be adding wood to the fire and trying to put the fire out in my inner life by placing wood on it Buddha says, on the second noble truth, what is it to be let go of? That's the question. First noble truth, suffering. And what, and what is to be, un- and what is it about it? Something to be understood. Second noble truth, causes and conditions. A primary one will have to be desire. It might be suppressed, it might be blinded, it might be blatantly obvious, it might be so-called good desire, uh, uh, difficult desire, uh, healthy desire, unhealthy desire, whatever. But whatever it is, it could cause a lot of suffering. One can have a great desire for this. We're not allowed, according to the government, to call it a war. Can you imagine? No, because a war is the country, the United Kingdom, making war on another country, another people. So it's not allowed to be called a war. It has to be called a conflict. So a person could end up in the desire, suffering because of the desire for the war to be over with and feeling distressed and pained and hurt and frustrated, disappointed. 
So, in the second noble truth, what the Buddha asked, as uh, uh, and as the advice is given to us, what is it to be let go of? These are the words. What is it to be abandoned? What is it to be given up? And sometimes, in the midst, and because desire means an unsatisfactory force which is problematic, when it's problematic, it's called desire. Sometimes the movement of the desire that's going on uh, with us is not getting the attention and the understanding and the exploration that it needs. And we're not even remembering to ask ourselves, what is it to be abandoned? What is it to be let go of? What is it to be given up? And it's not easy. And even the wholesome and the good intention doesn't mean to say that I'll just say, oh, I'm suffering because I want something. Oh, I don't know. And I'll be happy. Do you think the old ego is going to take any notice of this nice idea? You know, I can, I'm going to do it. Do it. One's got to really give it attention. One's got to really make some resolutions. Really investigate. And cause and conditions in Dharma language is a difference. Cause is what we call primary. Conditions or what is supported. Cause is primary, conditions are what is su- su- supported. I'm driving a car and I cause an accident. And I see I caused the accident because I was driving far too fast along a narrow lane, etc. Cause What is and causing me suffering. And something has to change inside. And, or I nearly caused an accident, whatever it might be. And then there are the various conditions. Oh, the conditions are, I wanted to get to a certain place at a certain time. The conditions are, um, I just wasn't very mindful. The conditions uh, are, I took no notice of this, that and the other. But, Primary condition, primary cause for this, I was driving too fast, and the consequence of this. What is to be let go of? Driving too fast. To really see what harm could be caused for ourselves or for First noble truth, to be understood. Second noble truth, to inquire, to explore what it is to be given up. To be, to be let go of and to see what the cause or primary cause and conditions are and if there's some form of desire which is going on third noble truth is the resolution is realisation put as advice on the third noble truth which is the end of suffering is to be, is to be realised liberation is the realization. Liberation is the immediacy of discovery. It can happen for us. I think there's a 
in the Buddhist world, just a, just a little side step for a moment here, I <coughs> get a little bit concerned, a little bit is one of my English understatements, about a tendency in the West which has an, an alarming pattern of endeavouring to water things down to make them more pleasant. We are so pleasure mad. So everything must fit into our petty little minds. And this, you know, it can happen. It can happen uh, in spiritual practices. And just to take an example, to take yoga, a fine example. If those of you who know uh, know yoga, there is a wonderful body of uh, yoga teachers in the West who are doing extraordinary work with all manner of people, from children to pregnant women to healthy adults kids in school, to elderly people, so beautiful things, yeah, yoga, as you, many of you know, I'm a deep, deep fan of the benefits of uh, uh, yoga, and I think it's very small-mindedness, sometimes in the Buddhist tradition, and people who ought to know better, who uh, dismiss yoga, and sometimes, oh, that seems a bit, come, please wake up. <laughs> sometimes with yoga it's also forgotten it just becomes bodily exercise that's what it is just bodily exercise and, it, and as we do in the West we, because we have so little understanding deep understanding of interconnectedness we're much more in the ideology it is an ideology of breaking things down as much as we can, and keeping what we want to keep and splitting off everything else. We do it right down to the atom, and we, we do it with dividing up of countries, and we do it with groups, and of course, since we've got a pattern of um, uh, uh, divide and take uh, as, a, as a problematic uh, cultural phenomena with us, we do it with yoga. And when we do it with yoga, we'll conveniently leave out everything else. We'll leave out diet. We'll leave out simplicity of lifestyle. We'll leave out renunciation. We'll leave out meditation. Uh, we we, we leave, uh, leave out um, care for land, water and earth and the environment. And we'll just do that. Because it makes us feel good. And, the, and, the, and yoga teachers, I, I know, and I was speaking to a group of uh, uh, yoga teachers in Tel Aviv a couple of weeks or so ago about this, and they expressed concern as, as, as well. They, want, they don't want yoga teachings to be isolated and, and, and just asanas. They know it comes from a beautiful Indian tradition, 3,000 years old or more. And if one, le- if one looks into the Patanjali Sutta, this is the main discourse on, uh, on it. I can't remember how many uh, shlokas, how many verses there are <coughs> on, on yoga. In turns into hundreds. There's one page on the asana. The main text. And if 
has been brought out. And no wonder deep, sincere yogis in, in, in India just pull their hair out. Because it's got so restricted to posture instead of yoga as a way of life to join with the truth, to join together, to connect. Which is what yoga is about, like the word yoga. All right, I just had my ramble on about that. I'll, um, <laughs> where were we? All right. Third noble truth. You know, anyway, third noble truth. In the Buddhist tradition, I've read and do read sometimes that the third noble truth, which is liberation, which is nirvana, which is realizing the deathless, which is the limit, limitless the infinite, the immeasurable, coming out of the mire of small-mindedness. Sometimes I read from teachers, from we fasten our teachers, post them over better. The third noble truth is a calm and peaceful mind. What? What? It's not even first jhana. And now it becomes liberation. And that is the watering down that one has to be concerned. And forgetting the incredible profundity of what it means for a human being to, to know the liberation, to feel in all the complexities of this uh, extraordinary existence. The Buddha says, the third noble truth is that which is to be realized. To be realized means it is real for oneself. Nirvana, profound freedom, indestructible discovery is to be made real. It's to be realized. And these teachings, very And sometimes, sometimes, beautifully, momentarily, we can get a sense of that. Sometimes momentarily we get a, a whisper, an intimation, a kind of a, a taste, a sense. We can kind of almost hear it. In other words, the issues and all those problems and obstructions of life lose the grip. And we can sense, sometimes closely, that freedom of being is actually closer than the thoughts in our mind. This is to be this is to be realized. First noble truth, suffering, to be understood. Second noble truth, cause. This is desire, primary cause, condition. To be let go of, to be abandoned. Third noble truth, liberation, to be realized, to be made real. Fourth noble truth is the way. And that's exploration of the way. In the Buddhist world it's put into um, a reminder to all of us that the way isn't defined and isn't exclusively tied up with you and me sitting on the meditation cushion. Buddha doesn't say first noble truth is suffering, second noble truth is uh, the causes of suffering, third noble truth is the resolution of it, and the fourth noble 
truth is spending as many hours as possible sitting cross-legged on a meditation cushion. If, if that was the case, if in our life that was the case, I wouldn't hesitate to say to myself and to you, please get out of the meditation posture as infrequently as possible. Yes, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's the only place where some people on retreat engage in the practice of the second noble truth, namely letting go. <laughs> the only place. Naturally, spontaneously, sometimes with a little effort, sometimes it's completely effortless according to causes and conditions. My old teacher, Ajahn Damodara, naturally, love him to bits. So he wasn't easy. Oh, God, he wasn't easy. <laughs> but then people say, oh, Christopher, you're not easy either. I said, well, I don't mind. I'm in the tradition of the not easy. And so sometimes he would come into the meditation room. I've never, I never, never done this, but he didn't bother, he didn't blink an eyelid. He would spend, in the mindfulness instruction, spending 20 minutes or more showing us how to go to the toilet. <laughs> you know, we're adults. <laughs> What did he think we had under our robe? You know, natchez? <laughs> Mind you, some of the monks are... Uh, anyway. <laughs> and he would walk in and right from opening the, the toilet door of mindfulness in action and I noticed, I have to say, in America it makes me smile it's called the... I don't know if you've been to the United States. It's an eccentric place. They, they call it the restroom. Can you imagine? Anybody wanting to go to the toilet for a rest? When I was a teenager, we called it going to the bog. Much more accurate. Anyway. So the Ajahn would come in. And he would say, um, mindfulness of toilet practice. <laughs> oh, here we are. I mean, we've seen it so many times before. As soon as he said it, you know, the half, half the monks were yawning. <laughs> so he'd go over it again, all right, come on, show us the act. <laughs> really? You live in a monastery for a few years, you know what I mean. And then he'd walk in. There'd be the turning of the door and, and walking in and then he wouldn't just come all the way up and he'd you know, lift up the, the robe and, and show how to get down into the squatting posture. We didn't have proper toilets. Western toilets. How to get down into the squatting posture. And then mindfully <laughs> effort without strain was the <laughs> primary teaching. And then come back up into the uh, uh, up, upright uh, 
Posture. And then the mind to the open the time is finished, all, all, most of us are dying for a piss. Anyway, most of us <laughs> So sometimes we explore the way. I, I don't know. I'm not sure if we should keep this tape on. Right. <laughs> My, my deepest apologies to you profound Buddhists out there who are listening to the tape. <laughs> so sometimes we have the idea of, of the way. But if the mindset is already small and it's thinking uh, the way and practice, which is the same thing, is somehow one exclusive form of physical. It's too narrow. And how can one go to the limitless if one is holding to the limited. How can one go to the, Im- to the immeasurable, realize the immeasurable, the third noble truth, if one is pinning everything on the measurable, called the form? And the Buddha, in magnificent wisdom, re- re- realized this. And, th- and therefore the sheer diversity of the teachings reminds us right understanding and the word right actually is it's Sanma Bhitti, Sanma Sankalpa, Sanma Bhatti, Sanma Samadhi, Sanma Sati, And Sanma doesn't mean right and out, right and wrong dualism that we you and I are familiar with in the West. Sanma means um, a bringing to fullness. To full. You bring to fullness, understand. You bring to a fullness, uh, communication, speaking. We bring to a fullness, uh, uh, effort, etc. Not perfection, nothing like that. But it's, and therefore the way, the teachings of the body uh, of the way, is this, are to be developed. And along that way, along the way, along the journey of the way, sometimes, as I mentioned, it, it isn't easy, because we not only in our life, have to deal with and touching this with you as the day is here inner things but also as well our outer things also, also God things that are said things that people people say, say about us just you know uh, recently I'm supposed to have said something to somebody in a weekend retreat last summer and then somebody writes a letter of complaint about it I've no idea what I'm supposed to have said but Somebody is felt very uncomfortable and said, right, and they write to Guy House and say, well, uh, Christopher said this to this person on, on uh, a weekend retreat and it's, uh, I don't know how, how the person is described. These things happen. How can one stop people from that? So, we have to look to ourselves. We have to look to our uh, own uh, inner life. To be as clear as we possibly can to be as sensitive and respectful to each other as we possibly can. And therefore that means that our communication really, really matters. And if you and I can have a sense of the breadth of the teaching, of the way, and the Buddha says the the advice is with regard to the way, is that it's cultivated. We cultivate the way and we cultivate it because we want to be conscious human beings. 
we cultivate the way because we feel it truly this is where the word noble really has significance it truly ennobles our life nothing to do with religion nothing to do with philosophy nothing to do with ideology nothing, nothing to do with fitting into some old belief system we explore these teachings and practices because it ennobles our life and if we, live, if we ennoble our life through that, with all the difficulties, inwardly and outwardly, that I've referred to with you, yet there's a feeling one is learning. There's a feeling one is growing as a human being. There's, there's a feeling of exploration. And that sense for that keeps revealing the third noble truth. It keeps revealing we've realised something. And therefore, those who follow the way realize the third noble truth. Those who cultivate the way, to use the Buddha's words, realize the third noble truth. Those who know the third noble truth, how do they live? They live according to the way. And then they meet together. Very, very magically, mysteriously, mystically and beautifully and in a very extraordinary way. And that's what makes the teachings, I feel, I'm sure, you, you agree, so deeply relevant for life. It's extraordinarily significant for the human species and for all other species and for the majesty and the privilege of being on the earth. understand what needs to be understood. May you all be let go of what needs to be let go of. May you all be realize what needs to be realized. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.